Are you ready for the end of the world? This is your community spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of family, the circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is your community spirit on your community radio. 91.1 FM Community Radio for Southern Illinois. My name is Tree Song. I'll be your host today. Ord Energy Man is out in the field. He is out on another of his many solar adventures. And uh, he may we may hear from him in a little bit, but I may be flying solo today. Uh, but have no fear. We still have plenty of news and happenings and holidays and all such things to talk about. So, let's get into it. All right, here we go. Our first story, the New York Assembly just passed the nation's most ambitious climate bill. Now, to be fair, that's, a <laughs> that's not a very difficult contest to win at this point, unfortunately. But it is still big, big news. It is the nation's most ambitious climate bill. The New York State Assembly has passed the most ambitious climate bill in the country. One that would require the state to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from major sources to zero by 2050. The bill was passed Wednesday night with support from a broad coalition of organizations, including labor groups, environmental groups, and community leaders. Now that's an important thing to note because there's, there's still this lingering stereotype that um, environmental concerns are not shared by labor concerns and vice versa. You know, people try to divide and conquer these different aspects of our society. But labor and environmental groups and community leaders are all together on this one. So the bill seeks to codify into law certain climate goals put forth by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who has said in the past that he wants the state to generate half of its electricity from renewable sources by 2030. In December, Cuomo mandated that the New York Department of Public Service begin establishing a plan to transition to at least 50% renewable electricity by 2030. Without making these goals into laws, however, Cuomo's targets could be reversed by whoever holds the governorship next. The bill passed Wednesday night by the Assembly, dubbed the Climate and Community Protection Act, uh, would apply to major sources of anthropogenic carbon pollution, such as major electric producers or large industrial factories and would regulate, the large, would regulate the large carbon emissions from any industry that emits 25,000 tons or more of greenhouse gases annually, or any power plant that is 25 megawatts or larger. Now, I can foresee something slipping through the crack there, but uh, they, that is a specific amount that they are shooting for. The bill also requires New York to hit a set of incremental targets for the percent of electricity generated from renewable sources, 27% by next year, 30% by 2020, 40% by 2025, and 50% by 2030. Environmental groups have also praised the bill for its focus on environmental justice. The bill would establish a working group of representatives from the environmental justice community as well as from certain government agencies to help guide climate decisions in a way that lessens the burden on low-income and minority communities. 
The bill also focuses on creating green jobs throughout the state, and especially focuses on creating these jobs in marginalized community. Now that's a very important aspect of this bill as well, because oftentimes ecological measures that are passed through legislatures or advocated by green groups, they don't they, they're so focused on the environmental issues that they don't consider the justice issues, and they don't take an environmental justice approach. This bill at least is striving to, according to this description. The bill mandates that 40% of any funds generated from new market schemes set up to help the state reach its renewable energy goals, a carbon market for instance, must be put back into creating job opportunities or investing in clean energy or energy efficiency in marginalized communities. Labor groups also supported the bill, arguing that it helps protect workers from dangerous consequences of climate change. Now, of course, you know, as we said, uh, this is not really a hard contest to win at this point, the contest to have the best climate bill in all of the United States. But, uh, but it is a contest that New York State is currently winning. So let's get to some music, and then we will try to get Orr on the air. All right, I believe we have Orr with us on the air. Can you hear me, Orr? Uh, how about now? Can you hear me? I can. Good, I can hear you too. <laughs> We're on the same page. I actually have my phone sitting on top of, what, 16 batteries um, wiring up. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're out on a solar adventure today? Yeah, I'm in uh, Dubuque, Iowa, wiring up a battery-based solar system. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> like, but anyway. So yeah, we got through just before you got on the air. We got through the uh, first story about the New York National the New York Assembly passing the nation's most ambitious climate bill. It's kind of interesting how. Things are all, all, like, coming together, and people are getting serious about, I don't know, saving the world, saving ourselves. Yeah, it is. It's pretty exciting. Like, I was joking about how it's currently not a difficult contest to win the most ambitious climate bill in the U.S., <laughs> but uh, it is still, it's an exciting step to see that they're you know, they've gone farther than all of the other states. So that means the other states may catch up sometime soon. Yeah. It also means, too, like, even though this isn't going to solve everything, they they have voiced the opinion that they need to eliminate all emissions. So if they say by 2050, we can pressure them to bring it to 2040, or, you know, that sort of thing. Why don't we bring it to now? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the goal. This says zombie wildfires? Yeah, there are apparently zombie wildfires out there. That's a scary thought. Why do they call them zombie wildfires? Well, the fires that never really die. Last year's Alaskan wildfire season was the second largest ever, and it seems it never entirely ended. A wildfire in southwest Alaska that swept more than 8,000 acres over the course of of this week is a continuation of a 2015 fire that never went out, despite having ceased to visibly burn. Wait a second. So if you don't see it burning, how do you know it's still a fire? 
Yeah, that's one of the scary things about it. <laughs> well, it's smoldered underground. <laughs> it's just like... It smoldered underground, survived the winter, and finally reignited on Sunday, spreading to an acre within an hour. And, I mean, part of it is it smolders underground into the old growth roots, and because it never really gets wet or um, enough moisture, right? Yeah. I remember learning that when I uh, first was going camping, that you're not supposed to bury hot coals that have been in your campfire, because then if oh, they no. stay buried, they, yeah, they can be out there for a long time. So this is kind of like that, but it's happening in the whole forest because of these wildfires. It says 16 Alaskan wildfires have been attributed to holdovers this year alone. And one of these fires actually is a holdover from two years ago. So, fun times. Yep, fun times. But, I mean, 8,000 acres fire last year. Things are getting dry, huh? Yeah. Only you can prevent forest fires, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We can prevent forest fires by being careful when we're out in the woods and also by not exacerbating climate change. <laughs> Man, I can handle one of those, but the other one sounds like a big deal. Yeah. That's... Let's see, in other news, speaking of climate change and all the things that it can wreck, climate change could wreck Yellowstone, Statue of Liberty, Galapagos Islands, and other UNESCO sites. Global warming isn't just bad news for beach babes and polar bears. It could also be devastating for UNESCO World Heritage Sites across the globe. Now, these are special sites that have been designated as of significance to world history. So, uh, so here's the report. According to a new report, there are 31 World Heritage Sites in 29 countries at risk due to rising temperatures and sea levels, melting glaciers, intensified storms, droughts, and wildfires. These Otherwise, one is a Hollywood movie. <laughs> yeah, basically those disaster movies you've seen, they're starting to happen. And it is kind of ironic because in a lot of those movies, there is some iconic symbol that is destroyed, like, you know, the Statue of Liberty may be destroyed or that sort of thing. And Statue of Liberty is one of the ones on this list that may be destroyed by climate change. So here's a couple of quotes. Some Easter Island statues are at risk of being lost to the sea because of coastal erosion said Adam Markham, lead author of the report. Many of the world's most important coral reefs, including the islands of New Caledonia in the western Pacific, have suffered unprecedented coral bleaching linked to climate change this year. Climate change could eventually even cause some World Heritage Sites to lose their status. You know, because if there's some monument there and it gets destroyed, <laughs> it's no longer a World Heritage Site. It's sad, I mean, there might be a little plaque there saying there used to be the Statue of Liberty here. <laughs> But, yeah, well, uh, then it would still be a World Heritage Site because you're like, this used to be a World Heritage Site, therefore it's a World Heritage Site, no? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there should be some sort of monument. Like, maybe it'll be one status lower, but there should be mo some monument there saying, this used to be this majestic site and it was destroyed by climate change. But then they'll, ha they'll have to print a lot of those plaques, unfortunately. 
One of the ones that really got me, too, was Stonehenge. You know, I've always wanted to visit Stonehenge, and it's on the list as threatened. There is one place that is conspicuously absent from the report, Australia. The, Gu the Guardian reports that the Australian government requested that a chapter on the Great Barrier Reef, which is at risk from increased temperatures, ocean acidification, and coral bleaching, be removed from the list, fearing that its inclusion would hurt tourism. So in the name of tourism, they don't want people to know that the Great Barrier Reef is at risk. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, what are they going to do? People to know so that they come there quicker, right? Yeah, you'd think they'd want the spike in tourism this quarter is come and see it while it lasts, you know. And what is their plan when it actually does bleach and die? Are they just going to go out there with some paint and <laughs> try to pretend it's still alive? Uh, yeah. But the Australi one of the Australian climate scientists was calling it frankly astounding and said it was reminiscent of the old Soviet Union, you know, when they would edit photos and things to eliminate people who had, were out of favor. Because it is ridiculous to me. I mean, it's the whole denial thing. It's one thing to say, oh, we've got differences of opinion about how to solve it. But there, right there, they said, we're going to deny that the Great Barrier Reef is at risk. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Not a good plan, but sounds like one. Yeah. So. But... All right, we've got We're talking a lot about things that are all over the world because, well, you know, I like to call climate change bipolar weather. Africa's yeah. most vulnerable face an even hotter future, already home to some of the most environmentally vulnerable populations on the planet. Africa looks to increasingly feel the sting of climate change through more frequent, widespread, and intense heat waves. Extreme heat that would have been considered unusual today could become a yearly occurrence there by mid-century, a new study suggests, and the trend will emerge earlier there and in the rest of the tropics before it does in more temperate areas. The studies, both detailed this month in the journal Environmental Research Letters, emphasize the undue burden that some of the poorest populations on the planet, often those that have contributed least to global warming, will face from climate change. You know, an, an increase in extreme heat is one of the clearest implications. Warning has been shown to increase the odds of these extreme events already, and heat waves are expected to become increasingly intense and frequent. So... And I mean, of course, you know, along the tropics, it's more of an issue because the temperature doesn't fluctuate much. It's not like it gets cool, really cool at night and, you know, and so if the temperature goes up, it's like long term. So that's a big issue, right? Yeah. And the tropics are home to some of four billion people. So, so and of course, you know, if they're really affected there, they're going to move away. Yeah, if they can. <laughs> and it's this is where the whole concept of climate justice comes into play, because the, the people in the tropics who are threatened by this, most of them didn't really do much of anything to cause global warming. But the people in the more northern climates uh, and southern climates, you know, but mostly the northern climates, they did a lot to cause global warming, and they're not having as severe of effects as quickly. 
So, well, let's hit some good news. Yeah, we've got some good news on tap here. Europe keeps hitting clean energy milestones. We've talked a little bit about one or two of these during the month, but May has been a good month for clean energy in Europe. Coal plants have faltered and wind farms are thriving. And not just in Denmark, the continent's shining example of renewable energy. We're whizzing by milestones right and left. Here are a couple of examples. Portugal ran on renewables alone for four days straight. For a stretch of 107 hours over four days in early May, solar, wind, and hydropower were the only sources for Portugal's electricity. That's a big jump from just three years ago, when Portugal generated half its electricity from fossil fuels. So change is possible. Germany was almost entirely powered by solar and wind. Clean energy supplied a record 87% of Germany's electricity in the middle of a sunny, windy day on May 8th. The country's renewables produced so much energy, the price of electricity sank low enough that people were getting paid to use it. <laughs> That's because coal and nuclear plants couldn't shut down fast enough to respond to the excess power. Hmm. Another one, Britain was powered without coal for the first time in 130 years. Yeah, Britain was associated with the whole dawn of the coal age, and now it's, it was powered without coal for the first time in 130 years. Britain's electricity generated from coal fell to zero for about a third of the time between May 9th and May 15th. This marks the first time Britain didn't rely on coal since 1882, when it opened the first public power station. All these examples have one important thing in common. Renewables supplied enough electricity for days, not hours. And if renewable prices continue to fall and storage technology improves, it could be a glimpse of what's to come on an extended basis. And then I do want to point out that both Germany and Britain kind of have a less sun than anywhere in the U.S. Yeah, you may have noticed. Like, I love the map where it shows sunshine annually. In Germany, it's like it's one of the darker colors. <laughs> There's not very much sun relative to most of the U.S., and yet they're doing a lot with solar. It's about the political will and the, the ability to achieve it. All right, so shall we get into some of these holidays? I don't know. Should we talk about Donut Day? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I, a lot of my friends have been talking about Donut Day. I didn't fully realize how many of my friends like donuts until I saw numerous Facebook posts about it. National I don't Donut know. Day. Fried anything is good, but deep-fried sugared something... That's like two of the main food groups if you're, like, starving. <laughs> Deep fried and sugar. <laughs> so, so, today National is... National Day. Yes, today is also is Repeat National Day. National Donut Day? Because it's also Repeat Day. Yeah. I said repeat. Repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday is, ooh, Applesauce Cake Day. A lot of people don't know that's a thing, but it is a thing, and a delicious one. Hug your cat day. Now, not all cats like to be hugged, but if, if your cat lets you hug it, you can hug your cat. National Trails Day. Oh, on Sunday is World Environment Day. Monday is National Gardening Exercise Day. Come on, gardening is not exercise. Gardening is fun. <laughs> don't ruin it. That's like trying to say donuts are healthy. <laughs> Don't ruin it for me. 
Yeah, you can get your exercise by gardening without even realizing. So, also coming up is National Chocolate Ice Cream Day. That's a really exciting one. I celebrate that as often as I can. <laughs> Wednesday is Best Friends Day. It's also Name Your Poison Day. That's an odd combination. <laughs> so, we are in June. June is Fight the Filthy Fly Month. Gay Pride Month, National Adapt Adopt a Cat Month, National Fresh Fruit and Vegetables Month, and of course Rose Month. It's an exciting month. <laughs> we also have some happenings coming up. The Fourth Friday Fair. Now you, you may have noticed it's not currently the Fourth Friday, but last week it got rained out, so it's happening again this week. It's happening at the Carbondale Town Square from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. They have rescheduled it. They've got a lot of good stuff going on there. And it's not it's not BYOB this week because, you know, that permit is for a specific day and they moved the day. But there is going to be live music and all sorts of goodies, uh, local organizations, activities for kids and adults, regional crafts and arts, vendors of all kinds. So for more information on that, you can email info at carbondalemainstreet.com or call 618-529-8040. They're doing it on all of the fourth Fridays, as the name implies. So another one, June 24th, July 22nd, August 26th, September 23rd. And more information, just go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to get the information. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's always a good time. It's like, it's... You know, music for adults and games for kids. Yeah. Or the other way around. <laughs> it's a big party on the town square. Also, Saturday is the peace vigil. Honor veterans. Wage peace. The Peace Coalition of Southern Illinois monthly vigil for peace and justice is scheduled for June 4th from noon to 1 downtown at the corner of Illinois and Main Street. This vigil's theme will be Honor Veterans Wage Peace, Build a World Beyond War. The organization World Beyond War asks citizens to recognize, quote, that wars and militarism make us less safe rather than protect us, that they kill, injure, and traumatize adults, children, and infants, severely damage the national environment, erode civil liberties, and drain our economies, siphoning resources from life-affirming activities, unquote. The vigil will be followed by the monthly meeting at Cristado's Cafe and Bakery. All interested parties are welcome to participate in the vigil and the meeting. Yes, and once again, that's Saturday at noon at the Town Square. Also coming up this weekend on Sunday is the Labyrinth Walk. It's on Sunday at 7.30 a.m. at the Labyrinth Peace Park. The public is invited to a monthly Labyrinth Walk to be held on the first Sunday of each month. The Labyrinth Walk will be followed by coffee at Harbaugh's. The Buckminster Fuller Dome covered Labyrinth and Park is always open for meditation and recreation, but they do do this special walk on Sunday morning so you can walk together with people if you like. You can visit labyrinthpeacepark.org for more information, or you can just show up. And they're working on a really nice mural right across from the Labyrinth, too, so I'm Really looking forward to uh, how that progresses. It's it's fun every time I go by. There's something new there. 
this Sunday is also the third annual garden tour. Keep Harvey the Beautiful has lining up gardens for the third annual garden tour set for this Sunday from 11 till 3. The tour is self-guided. You can drive or be even bicycle or even walk to as many of them as you want. They're all within city limits. Tickets and maps can be purchased for $5 at the Old Train Depot. That's the corner of Maine and Illinois. Among this year's highlights are water features, hummingbird habitat, and gardens that sparkle. At one home, 300 hummingbirds were banded last year. Whoa. At another, a fascinated with rocks that have led to amazing collection. That's a lot of hummingbirds. So also coming up, we have the Native Landscaping coming up on Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Cache River Wetland Center. Native Landscaping, beauty in your backyard, homegrown habitats. If you want a sustainable landscape which is low maintenance and attractive to wildlife and pollinators, this is the event for you. So Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Cache River Wetland Center, you can call 618-657-2064 for more information. Transpoetic Playground is on Tuesday at 8 p.m. at Guy House. Since September 2009, the freshest spoken word open mic in Southern Illinois has turned Carbondale into the City of Poets. Poetry, dramatic spoken word, and a very open, creative environment. Yes, you are invited. That is Tuesday at 8 p.m. at the Guy House. That's always a good time. I make it out to that whenever I can. Also coming up, we have the Bringing It Home film showing. This is on Thursday, June 9th at 7 p.m. at the Douglas School Art Place, 900 Douglas Street in Murfreesboro. Southern Illinoisans Against Fracturing Our Environment, also known as SAFE, and the Council for Responsible Economic Development will be sharing a film called Bringing It Home and sharing samples of food products made with hemp. Now, I've had some delicious food products made with hemp, so that sounds like an exciting event. The film shares one avenue of solutions toward creating a just transition away from fossil fuels. You are invited to learn what hemp can do for our local economy. That's one thing that I often see overlooked when we're discussing the local economy. You know, we talk about the bickering going on in Springfield, and there are many solutions that we're not currently applying, and this whole hemp solution is one of them. Bringing It Home is about a father's search to find the healthiest building materials, and it led him to the completion of the nation's first hemp house. Hemp with Lime is a non-toxic, energy-efficient, mildew, fire, and pest-resistant building material. The only drawback is that industrial hemp is currently illegal to farm in the USA. Now imagine, you know, if it were legalized in the state of Illinois, for example, and we could grow industrial hemp here to make all of these products. That would be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? So this film showing is coming up. It's uh, 31 other countries do make products with this already. And if you want to see the film, Bringing It Home, it's coming up on Thursday from at 7 p.m. at the Douglas School Art Place, 900 Douglas Street in Murfreesboro. It looks like we actually made it through the show on time. <laughs> and I didn't lose connection either. Yeah. And I actually... Bolted up a few batteries while we were talking. <laughs> yeah. 
So we had a really productive and exciting and informative year community spirit. Hopefully you did too. Will do. I'll see you guys next week on the radio. Yes. Until then, enjoy the almost sunshine out there. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.